Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Against the Grain podcast, where we discuss woodworking and the business of woodworking. This is episode number 18 for March 15th, 2018. My name is Justin Apama, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Freddie Roman. Hello. And Guy Dunlap. Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. We're doing great. The blizzard <laughs> is coming. The blizzard's coming. Two Guy. feet. Guy was on vacation. How was that? It was very nice. Good. That's all Where I can tell you. It was very nice. It's it's <laughs> where, where we went. It's like eighty degrees year round, and it's just sunny and nice and nice beach and lots of margaritas and uh, it was a good time. Good. That's all right, Freddie. I got to see you. So that was a good vacation for me. It was good to catch you. Yeah. We haven't seen each other in what? 10, 12 years, 10 years, something like yeah, that. I think so. It's you been a while. You haven't changed a bit. Neither have you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I got you to smile for a picture, which rarely ever happens. I know so. my, my stone cold face. I keep getting lectured <laughs> about it. People make fun of me now about it. You got an image to uphold. I know. So, Guy, what's going on in the shop? Probably not too much since you just got home, but let's hear what you're doing now. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm almost done with the buffet. I, okay. I'm just I'm just waiting on something from somebody so I can finish the uh, inlay for the top. And then once I get that done, uh, I'll start putting finish on it. It's, it's always the outside people holding you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my fault. So, but yeah, I, 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 I built the top and it's uh, plywood with veneer on. I got some real nice book matched uh, veneer on top of it. And I put a solid wood frame around it, which was a lot of fun because it's, you know, it's got a curved front and the, you know, getting the, the curved piece on the front, the framing part and getting all the joinery was, I don't want to say difficult, but uh you know, it was very precise work and making sure it's all level and everything is always, always interesting. So that's done. I got the drawers finished and um, I've done a couple other little things around the shop. I'm doing a lot of, you know, fixing up of this, that, and the other thing in the shop and was gone for a week and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm back and in the shop again. So it's nice. Good. Freddie, what are you up to? So uh, Justin came by the shop and he realized that my shop isn't as big as it once was. And, uh, or, or as, as I say anyway, so well, the shop is, no, it, it's big, it's big, it's, it's just big, jam packed, <laughs> just, just not much room. No. And we officially have like 32 pieces that are, that are on the floor, ignoring all 50 chairs are waiting for us to be worked on. And the shop is jam-packed. And I'm happy to say that a lot of things are leaving the shop, but it's kind of like I feel sometimes I'm moving items out of the way so that we can actually have a flow. And it's it's pretty intense, but we have a lot of repairs and a lot of case pieces that are coming in. And we're just like stripping and finishing and trying to just crank out on that. And I'm bidding on more jobs and – for some odd bar reason, people think I'm a handyman. So I've been <laughs> I've been saying more yes to that for 
you know, making small cabinets or, you know, making some trim and or door casings or window casings. And I'm just diving into it and just kind of saying yes. And if it comes into a point that I need to hire a couple of people to be handymen, then I will do that. So I'm in the process of like trying to make all that work. Good. Good, good, good. good. As for me, mm-hmm. I I'm working on this rocking chair. Pretty much finished up now. Uh, I got a couple little details to finish on today, and then everything should be good to go. Um, the other thing was I was cutting foam last week, so that was the biggest load I've ever had produced in the fastest amount of time. So that's that's good, but it was it just took up some time out of my week that I couldn't work on the chair to finish it up. Is this your and official then, uh, foam minute? No, we're supposed to have a Justin phone minute. <laughs> no, there's a schedule. You made it. I'm okay. gonna stick to it. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. So, um, yeah. So yeah, just cutting foam, and then, uh, like I said, that just took up some of my time last week to get it out the door. And now I'm waiting for them to pick it up so they can drop another load, and we'll go from there. But awesome. Yeah, and then the other thing was been a couple weeks i got my new sander that's up and running everything works pretty good with it and uh yeah that's it that's a dual drum right yes what what uh grip paper are you putting on it uh i actually haven't put the paper on it yet that came in the other day Mm -hmm. but i ended up buying 150 100 120 and then an 80 grit but i think i'm just gonna put the uh 100 and then the 150 on there yeah we'll see Cool. got some good tips for people how to keep the paper on and everything nice. so it was pretty good duct tape right gorilla duct tape <laughs> no super glue actually super glue yeah he says super glue the end of the tab right under the drum he said then it just peels off when you're ready wow so the yeah. the, the yeah. clips on that machine don't work right or I the guy that I that recommended that said he has the same machine he says the clips are okay he's a super glue just works and you don't have to deal with the tape and all that so it it's not a bad idea because it really doesn't take that much tension to hold it there so. i'm going to try that because the grizzlies basically had clip on one end and then tape mm-hmm. on the other you know what i currently yeah, mine go ahead mine has clips on both ends mm-hmm. but what i currently use is um the uh, hose clamps that I, for dust collection Okay. On one end, I have two holes clamps to balance the weight because of the little nub. Um, and that works extremely well to hold the paper. But and then it doesn't catch your feeder rollers. It doesn't catch my feeder rollers, no, because it's that far mm-hmm. out because it extends beyond it. But the, the concern is, is sometimes that if the students are running really wide stuff, it may occasionally hit it like because of the width right. of the band. And um, that's the issue. Yeah, mine doesn't have the room for all that. Mm. They had tape on there, and that was touching the rollers, the spring-loaded tension rollers on there. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah, I'm curious. I'm going to try it. So. That's exciting. All right. Yeah, yeah, no, no. That, it's pretty good. Nice machine. Okay. Um, Guy, you want to talk about the Patreon? Yes. We've got some new uh, patrons since last time. We've got Jeff Mertz, Dean Cross, Eric Cole, 
Tab Adams and Aaron Fox. Thanks for signing up, guys. And, Thank you. And uh, the members who have pledged the most to us and have been uh, you know, very supportive of us over the period of time are John Ross, Sean Raymakers, Cole Roberts, Eric Mormon, Gary Darden, or excuse me, Carrie Darden, Dean Cross, Eric Cole, and Tab Adams again. So thanks, thanks everybody for that. And uh, we put out our first members-only podcast a couple, three weeks ago. Everybody seemed to like that. We're getting ready to do another one here fairly soon. But we also reached a new level, which is a monthly live session. And uh, that's for all our patron members, $10 and higher. And we're going to have to work on the details of that because technically I don't know how the hell we're going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) It was a a dream that came true. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I'm I'm looking at a couple different options right now, and I'll have something for, you know, you and and Freddie, but hopefully by the end of the week and we'll get that all straightened out. But uh, Um, don't forget Larry. Yes. And of course, Larry Grobner. I'm sorry. I forgot. I forgot you, Larry. (laughs) How could I forget Larry? Larry's awesome. (laughs) (sighs) All right, guy. Now it's time for my phone minute. Justin's phone minute. (laughs) (laughs) Little tip. Or not tip. I don't know. Little information that I received is I am cutting a polypropylene foam, mm-hmm. which interesting enough to know. It's, apparently, this polypropylene foam is the exact same thing as the rope that you buy in the store. Yeah. The only difference is they put it in a mold and they inject air into it, and that makes this stuff have bubbles in it, or more or less, make it turn into a foam. Hmm. That's my info for this month or week. That's pretty good. That's it. That's it. That's it. Simple. Cool. I didn't know that about rope. That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. That either. They said that it's the same exact stuff. It's just the way they inject air into the mold. Hmm. And then they said it's a matter of how much air they inject into it to how big the bubbles are. So, wow. I'm sure there's some scientific ratio. I don't know that. but It's like that foam cheese head that they make for those uh for that team <laughs> that green, yeah. yeah 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 i guess <laughs> pretty much the same thing <laughs> think about the are, you gonna, start, are uh, you gonna start making uh, cheese heads justin i no, no i'm not well i don't know if somebody wants some black foam <laughs> cheese head we could do it <laughs> i'm open for contracts so <laughs> Okay, that's my minute. Freddie, under your Freddie's Restoration Minute. Uh-oh. So am I reading this question? Sure, okay. if you want. So we had a question come in by, by Luke Single. And his question is as follows. I was curious of what you guys would recommend for cleaning and caring for furniture and wood products. Anything from humidifying your home to keep your projects and furniture more stable to daily, monthly, or yearly cleanings, cleaning products, and so on, period. I know it's kind of a newbie question, but hardly anyone ever talks about this subject. And I would like to hear your guys' perspectives because you have Freddie, which is me, who can shine light on 
what he sees on very old furniture that comes in that was ruined because of improper care. And then you guys have the experience of cleaning new furniture and taking care of that. One specific question Luke has is what cleaning projects products to avoid. It's it's his understanding that some cleaning products have chemicals and stuff that will ruin finish over time or making refinishing difficult. Thanks for considering. And he loves our podcast. So thank you, Luke. So it's a good question. It's a great question. So who wants yeah. to start? Should I start it or you guys want to put your opinions on it first? I, I'm afraid to say something that you're going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> but it, all right, yeah. I'll start with uh, when people ask me what I recommend cleaning everything with is usually a damp cloth. And if they're going to use some solvent on it, I always say use Murphy's oil soap. That's what I recommend. Mm. That's the sound of disappointment. It sounds like. No, not at all. <laughs> Murphy soap is is one option and it's a kind of an old school option. And yeah. I, I've never cleaned furniture with it. I've cleaned plenty of floors with it. But Steve, Steve, <laughs> Steve, my uh, shop mate in the shop, uh, he cleans a lot of furniture with it. And to my surprise, it, it works extremely well. What about you, Guy? Uh, I don't, I, I've never told people to use a damp cloth. I just say, you know, dust, you know, regularly don't use like a pledge or anything like that. And, uh, I've recommended Murphy's oil soap too. And also, uh, uh, lemon oil. Mm. Yeah. Not nothing with silicone in it. That always, just like I said, no pledge, anything like that. They all have a silicone. Yeah. In Those Swiffers are, are, you know, what I would recommend because they're just, they have something on there that grabs the dust that actually pulls it up and does a real good job. And you really don't need anything more than that. If it's like a dining table or something like that, where there's a, you know, you clean a spill up. Yeah. Just, a, you know, just a mm -hmm. lightly damp cloth to get the material up. But uh, as far as like a daily or weekly cleaning or whatever your week, your cleaning schedule is just, just dust it you know, a couple times a year. If it's the luster is kind of gone, you want to put some oil on it. You know, Murphy's oil soap is, always recommend it. it's a good natural product um so i guess go ahead I, I, well let me i was gonna mm -hmm. add this too is that i mean i'm not really putting out furniture that has wax on it mm -hmm. but i have done that and i will occasionally tell a person hey a coat of paste wax once a year but i don't i don't particularly produce furniture mm -hmm. like that so that i don't know so with me, pledge is the enemy. It's the absolute enemy. Yep. Like, it's and why is it the enemy? Maybe we shouldn't afford. It's it. because it has silicone in it, and when it comes to because the silicone affects if you have to ever refinish because it fish eyes. Even if sometimes, even if you strip it and sand it and everything, the silicone somehow penetrates into the wood sometimes, and it may look great in the first two layers of you know, stain and top coat, but then out of nowhere it pops up and it becomes a real mm -hmm. big pain and you can add additives to your finish, but it's just another step and another frustrating disappointment that can occur because it can pop up out of anywhere. That's what's, that's what's scary. And it temperature plays a factor and weather plays a factor in it. And it could be perfectly fine in your shop and then you bring it to a client's house and the fish eye can pop. And it and doesn't make any sense because you should be able to see it. But unfortunately, it has it's happened to me and many other people that 
you know, we examine it and it pops up. So it's, that's the main, the main thing. And what I usually start and recommend is to clean furniture is simply Dawn soap, just like literally Dawn. I don't recommend anything else. Dawn soap with a little warm water and a t-shirt rag material because Dawn has an additive that removes oil and grease. So you, so I say rub the piece gently and that usually takes off surface grease and you know it's it's amazing what cooking in the kitchen you know say fried chicken or something oily and it just gets into the atmosphere and if you don't have a proper hood venting everything out it's amazing how it migrates onto wooden items and then the other thing Mm -hmm. is if you get a dining room table that gets a lot of handling, especially on the crest rail. It's amazing what kids oils and human oils have on those areas. And when it comes time of cleaning, it's, you'd be surprised how much dirt comes off a piece. And it's uh, sometimes it's revolting how much stuff comes off. Um, (laughs) Just let's be honest. Uh, If you, if you do have a piece that you wax or have purchased that's wax and I wax almost every piece and depending how much use it gets, I do say one to two times a year. If you use your dining table a lot for kids' homework or anything like that or family gatherings, then, you know, I say once a season. Uh, some people say, well, you know, that could be too much. And if it is too much, then I always say you can take a little bit of mineral spirits and steel wool, very fine steel wool, rub it back and forth if you think there's too much wax buildup. The mineral spirits basically turns the whole top kind of this white wash. You can wipe all that down, and then you can re-wax it and buff it out with by hand and using elbow grease. Or I've now purchased a buffer, and I basically just buff the whole thing out like buffing a car. So you recommend to, to, to people to, to take steel wool and mineral spirits to their furniture? And I'd be... Yeah, you know, I'd be very, I'd be very nervous about that. It it all depends yeah. on the person. If if they say, "Oh, I have," most people are like, "Well, I have no mineral spirits and I have no steel wool. I have no clue how to do that." Then that's fine. But some people are like, "Yeah, I know how to do that. I've steel wool stuff before." And so I was like, that's "This is what you got to do." If they want to pay, cool. if they want to pay me to do it, then I'm happy to do it for them. <laughs> that's not fun. Yeah. So, so how, how many layers of wax could be built up on something before it starts to become a real issue? Well, you know, with waxing, it's it's you need a very thin film finish application. Mm-hmm. It's the issue when someone decides to like you know drop the whole can on the tabletop and then try to buff it out. So um, it just depends on how much use the table's getting and how much wax is applied. There's there's a client that basically every year in September, I go to her house and I polish everything with shellac and and I wax many items. And every year there hasn't been an issue. And I've been doing that for 10 years practically. And hmm. it's just because they just regularly use it and it's wearing down. And by the time I get there, um, it's, you know, basically I just carefully take a little bit of steel wool, wipe it back and forth, remove any surface film apply my wax and buff. So I've never had an yeah. issue. Is there a, a specific mm-hmm. brand of wax that you highly recommend? That's a great question, Guy. Um, Mohawk's Blue Label uh, Brown Wax I enjoy a lot. Uh, 
and then Boston Bowling Alley Polish Wax, or what is it called? Boston's Polish Wax. It's an amber wax, and I use that basically for anything like pale to brown, anything like brown mahogany and walnut, then I would use a brown wax. And the reason for that is the wax gets into the pores and then they turn white. So there's also like a variety of different other brands, but these two are the least toxic smelling waxes. And um, there's and you have to be concerned with other waxes that are really dark brown or have a variety of different colors because they can really play a factor into how a piece looks. Yeah. Huh. So do you recommend uh, – I can't think of that brand right now that sells all the different colors. The, mm, there's probably a lot. Uh, what's that brand called? Yes. You know, I do know which one you're talking about. And I, the Brie Wax – do you Brie wax? Yeah. Do you recommend using that color on that color piece? Um, a certain color on that color piece. So if it's cherry, should you get the cherry color? Not necessarily. Wax? No. It, 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 it has more to do with how open the pores are in the wood. Correct. Uh, not necessarily either. It just it's more about what the color of the final product is that the client desires. It's in, you can use wax also to shift over to the exact color because of the pigment pigments in the wax. Um, but sometimes with like cherry, I will use more of an amber. Yeah, I will say that mm -hmm. a perfect example is teak. I would use teak wax for that. And if you there's also some brie wax that says like pumpkin pine. So you, if you can visualize pumpkin pine is that orangey yellow, then maybe I would use that. But sometimes it can really add too much color to a piece. So I really like to m limit the amount of color shift. The other thing is that uh, Alan Breed, he's a great furniture maker. Uh, he, <coughs> he uses and recommends just buying clear wax and you add pigment into it. Or, you know, you make a little ball of wax, you add pigment into that, you mix it all up, and then you can shift and wax anything that you desire to any color you want. And That's a good idea. Other, go ahead. How how uh, is there any wax you don't recommend using? I'm not a huge fan of brie wax. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> like I do like I, I can always butcher the name. I think it's Mylan's wax, or um, from England, and mm -hmm. um, their wax is really good. The wax from uh, Liberon, it's really good, but you have to be very careful on how big of an area you're applying the wax because it dries really quickly. So there's always these issues with certain waxes and because of the drying time. And if you have it dry really fast, most people are like, okay, I just apply more wax and I'll, I'll work that area out. And what happens is that's when you get a lot of buildup and then that becomes a concern. So okay. usually because of the simplicity of it, and I've bought cans or dropped off cans at clients' houses, I mainly use the Boston Polish or the mohawk because it's really easy to apply and it's um it doesn't build up that rapid and there's a procedure of waxing also so you got to understand that yeah wax on wax off yes my daniel son um <laughs> uh you know usually what i what, how i was taught was you basically take a t-shirt rag material it's damp with water when it's brand new 
you go ahead and put it in the, in the wax can. You grab your wax. You apply in circle motions all over the piece. And then you end going with, with the grain. You let that sit for many you know, minutes, several minutes. And then you take a horsehair brush that's dedicated to the wax. And basically you buff it out like shining boots. And you take off the excess and you, and you kind of get it in all the crevices, make sure everything's nice and clean. And you let that sit for a few minutes. And then you come back and you basically take this really fine, high t-shirt rag material, usually white, and you can buff it with elbow grease. And, and recently, um, I just started using a buffer. So I'm getting a variety of different buffers so that I can go ahead and just like really buff everything out. And that works extremely well. Like a slow speed oscillating buffer or an actual? Yes. Variables. I'm actually using a... I'm using a slow speed buffer, but okay. I also have a variable speed buffer, which you have to be very careful with. Yes, yeah, that that is a trained professional's tool. <laughs> yes, it's it, it's pretty we'll, amazing. We'll have to, that can take off on you. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll have to dive into this question more mm -hmm. one day, but definitely interesting. You know, and that's just for interior furniture for cleaning. Exterior furniture. Um, if you have it left outside weathered and everything else, or there's like green moss or mold growing on it, then we would say you want to use a product called TSP, which is a really good all-purpose cleaner. Hmm. Good to know. Interesting. Yeah. That was a good long minute. Yeah, that was a long minute. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> you know, apologies. We're learning something. That's what matters. Yep. Do you want to get on to today's show? Yes, sir. Today's show, we are going to discuss taking your woodworking from a hobby to a business. Nice. Wow, that's a that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, myself, I've never taken a hobby to a business, and not not in that way. It's nothing that I planned to do. Both times, it was because I was you know, found myself out of work hmm. and it wasn't a, it wasn't a planned Jeez. thing. Um, so I don't know about either of you guys. Have you went from, you know, saying, you know, this is my hobby and, you know, took a look at it and, you know, planned to turn it into a business. I would say I am probably the closest to that of all years. Cause Freddie, you, yes, you kind of went correct. to school with the intention of it. Right. Yeah. Whereas I, I did construction and then I did the furniture stuff on the side and then it just got so prosperous that I switched over. So, and it was a hobby in the beginning. It was just me learning and getting sucked into that. So, you know, I, I took, I took this, uh, you know, from playing around in the basement to, to a professional because of school, but, I will say that I wasn't really prepared from taking this from a student at school to a professional business because in school, they really just focus on understanding the process and the techniques and trying to develop your eye. There's so much you need to learn in two years that business, sadly, it doesn't matter what school you go to. It's not really part of the curriculum. And... As I reflect back, it's kind of one of those things that you almost should be like six months of understanding the process at least and basically shocking you because 
it's a hard market. And as I reflect back, I said and think that I was going to be making furniture. Really, what I recommend these days is people to do cabinetry and trim work and and you know finish carpentry because more people are willing to invest in that versus investing in a table that may cost a thousand dollars, for example. Yeah, that's that's a really good point, and that's that's one of the problems I'm having is that you know I I. I'm not good at trim carpentry. It's a completely different animal than creating a piece of furniture. Um, I know, Justin, you do a lot of built-ins and stuff like that. Again, not my forte. Um, right. Not that I couldn't do it and do a good job of it, but it would just take me you know, an exorbitant amount of time where I think I'd, I'd lose a lot of money. So that's like one of the first things you have to ask yourself is, you know, what, kind of, what type of products are you going to be producing? And is it viable in your market where you can, you know, feed your family with it? Uh, let, let, let me, I'll tell you how I approach this thing. And it's a combination of both. Um, first off, I did come from a carpentry, trim carpentry background, the whole working on the construction side. I had that in my back pocket, if you want to say. Um, and then I started doing built-ins and things on the side and it, it, it wasn't till my father planted the idea in my head that I was actually building furniture which he considered furniture I still would say it's a built-in and stuff like that but it was it was nicer it was a higher level than, than what we were producing in the field and it just got to a point that I was so busy with that work that it kind of made sense to like, all right, I got enough here to keep me busy for six months maybe I should go do this and the other thing was it was Mm-hmm. the beginning of the recession as well. So my father was slow and he didn't necessarily need me there. And I was just taking off more and more. And after doing that for six months, he more or less said to me, is you going to quit or are you going to keep going like you're going? What are you going to do here? And that's what happened. I ended up quitting and going full time into this. And, and it worked out really well for me. Um, I've had slow years doing it now, but for the most part, I've always kept busy and there's always, I, I am lucky enough to, I always had the background to go fall back on and my dad would always need to help. So I could always just hey, can you use me for a week here or there. And I would go do that. But it's, it's a nerve wracking thing to, to jump into and not know where your next paycheck's coming from, but it's that way with owning any Mm -hmm. business. So I think, uh, I, I originally started out with more of the idea that I was going to build furniture tables and chairs and things like that. And it, it wasn't until that I realized, I, I hate to throw the word out there, hungry, mm-hmm. but I was, I, I need to work. So then I just started taking on anything. And it was everything and anything I could do to stay busy just to get my business to where it is. And then after doing so much of so many things, I then realized what I'm very good at and what people are asking me for and I'm willing to do that my business has now evolved yeah. to what it is. So. It's, I think if you're going, first off, you're going into business, you need to be willing to do everything and anything to stay busy. And then from there, you can learn to pick and choose or become a specialist at something. So, you know, everyone these days thinks a carpenter is set up usually for rough carpentry. And what people don't understand is caulking makes finished carpeting 
carpentry, what is not. Like you can't just depend on caulking on everything, which is what you commonly see in a lot of restaurants and everything else. But there's guys out there, especially like even, mm. you know, there's a huge account that I absolutely love on Instagram. His name is Carpentry by Mar. It's Mar, M-A-R. And this 24-year-old young man is doing trim and everything he does, so flawless. Like furniture grade, like piston mm -hmm. fit, crown molding and base molding and everything so flawless that it just changes your opinion on carpentry. And it just like sucks me right in. And there's so much of a demand for that, at least here in this Boston area or bigger cities, that I think if you came out of school, even though you want to make furniture and just dove into that, you know, at least six months out of the year or just focus on that and then did your furniture on the side, I think you'd be much more successful. Because then you can say, I just trimmed your whole, whole house. Oh, by the way, I also make furniture if you need something for this certain area. And then hopefully it multiplies to what your goal is to just make furniture stay in the shop. I'm kind of doing a full circle right now. I thought furniture, then I realized the competition, I'm doing restoration, and now the phone's ringing like, can you make molding? Can you install moldings? Can you do wainscoting? Can you do built-ins? And at first, for years, I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And there's more investment, more tools I would need. But the market of tooling has changed. So it makes everything so much easier and so much more efficient. So now it's just like, you don't even need that much of an investment, really, with some basic setup of tools. So I'm kind of like going back and forth mm -hmm. on it that she goods and making product this way is really a good option. And then of course, you hear Justin how much fun he's having with these mantles and these built ins. And it's kind of like, man, I like to get into some of that stuff. You, you just said about this Mar guy. I was pretty much the same way. I was doing really high end work mm -hmm. at a level that nobody else was. My time, and I'm not trying to toot my horn or anything, but it was it was just for me. It was always the challenge of just making it perfect to a point that it, it was detrimental. Um, in the sense that I used to get from my father is hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And there is there is a level in the construction background which definitely doesn't relate to shop work that you're mm -hmm. trying to be fast and do nice work. And there's a lot of people that will say. That's good enough. You can just caulk it, which it, it's there's nothing wrong with caulk if you're yes. caulking a nice tight joint, right? It's it just cleans things up for when the painter comes in and certain things. And I have no problem using caulk for certain mm -hmm. things, but you don't use caulk to fill gaps, right? It's it's there for super clean lines and other things. But um, and, and it it's funny because uh, I used to then have to go work with a framing crew, and I would always get teased there is like you're not building piano when I was framing, but in the same sense, I never was a good framer because I would look at the work that everybody else would do framing. And to me, that would look nice mm -hmm. and tidy. And my work would never look that good. Whereas they would come do trim work and it just looked like butcher work to me that they would do. So yeah. it's, it's weird. So the, the, the takeaway I'm getting from all this is that, you know, we, we were talking about turning a, a hobby into a business. I don't know how many people are doing trim carpentry as mm -hmm. a hobby. Turning this from a hobby into a business, there's a lot. So let's, yeah, let's get back on. Oh, I, I, didn't, I wasn't trying to say it that way, but it's just, yeah, yeah, no, but it's no, like, you, okay, but you know, <laughs> a hobbyist to me is a guy in his garage building projects. He's not going out to construction sites and doing yeah. built-ins and, and not True. that there's, 
but again, it's a for like me, you know, that's that's kind of my realm is as a hobbyist. So I, you know, asking me to go into a house and do trim, it's like there's no way I'm doing that. I'll be there like three years doing one room, and it's going to look like garbage mm-hmm. when I get done because I just don't mm-hmm. do it. I, I shouldn't say it's going to look garbage, but it, I hate doing trim work. <laughs> so. You know, and I've got I've got to replace all the trim in my house here, and I'm doing it room by room, and it takes me almost like a weekend to do a room because I'm just not good at it. Um, but if you've got a guy that's building stuff in his garage, you know, how do you turn that into a business? And uh, it really comes down to the types of products. Are you going to go for you know more high end stuff, or are you making cutting boards? You know, there's a there's a wide range there. I know a lot of guys that have done a lot of uh, stuff. They're they're doing a lot of small projects, you know, like like I said, cutting boards, boxes, things like that. Then they make some pretty decent money doing it. You need to start off with first off. I think you should be you should have work. <laughs> Don't just jump into this without a doubt. Yeah, you had mentioned I, you had a six month backlog before you decided to. Oh, yeah, I, I, I'm a believer of two things. One is don't go get a loan to do this. And the other thing is you should have, if you're doing another job that's profitable already, you just hate your job, save your money and go have all your majority of your machinery to get started. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't go take a loan out and go do this. Cause you're just starting in a hole trying to dig your way out. That's, that's a rough way to do it. Especially when you don't know where your paycheck's coming from. Yeah. And that's, that's a really good point is, you know, you have to really sit, you know, if you're a, if you're a young guy and you're, and you're in your twenties, let's say it's, you know, and you're, you're single, it's very easy to take a risk like this. Mm-hmm. It's a completely mm-hmm. different animal when you are in your, you know, mid thirties to forties yeah. to a guy like my age who's in his nineties to just quit a good paying job and then start woodworking and uh, as a, as a business, because, you know, you've got a family, you've got a mortgage, you've got bills, you've got insurance. There's a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to have a solid business plan in place. You have to know exactly how much money you need to make every month uh, to cover your bills and also money to be put aside for retirement later. Mm-hmm. So, that's a really big thing before you decide to make the jump. It all sounds good. And it's like, yeah, 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 I can do this. But you know, you gotta have, you gotta have money coming in. You have to have a revenue stream, uh, especially if you have a family. So take that into consideration too. Yeah. And I, I mean, I hope if you're at that point in your life, hopefully by your mid thirties to early forties, you kind of got figured out where you should be doing in life. Mm-hmm. So, and not to say that you can't go do this, but in the sense that you kind of know what it ne- means to live at that point. Whereas yeah, in your early twenties, you're just worried about yourself and that's it. So, yeah. and there isn't much else to worry about. Um, you know, referencing back to what guy said, if you, if you happen to own a house already and you want to turn this hobby into a profession, you know, maybe your house is, your trial run 
like every house needs to be upgraded. So there's nothing wrong with putting new trim up. There's nothing wrong making some small built-ins. There's nothing wrong with making some cabinetry for your shop to get the understanding of drawer slides and, you know, the pocket hole jig and the domino or lippings and edging. You know, that's your practice run. That's, unfortunately, you don't have to have cabinets that beautifully made for your shop. But if you're trying to pick up speed and you're trying to understand what the market is producing, then I believe that maybe that's one way of doing it. Or believe it or not, you start contacting your friends like, do you need a built-in? Do you need some small cabinetry? Uh, I need to practice. You need an upgrade. Let's meet in the middle. I get make a little bit of money off of you, not a ton. You pay for materials and then you can figure how things go, learn how to scribe and everything else. And the reason why I emphasize carpentry work or finished carpentry or built-ins is, is because unfortunately most homeowners see the investment of built-ins and entry doors and cabinetry and trim packages versus, hey, you want a ten to $20,000 dining room table? that I will then have to move with me and may at the owners at one point may say, I don't really like that style. And so that's the issue with investment. And since there's a change in like everything being modern, everything being lighter, you know, and people's opinions changing or taste changings on, on their style, you know, the only thing they can really invest in is in the house and they see potential gain from it. So that's why I lately have been really pushing that aspect of, of work. Mm -hmm. Just so everyone knows, we just had a, a recording glitch and we are picking up from here. It's the next day. So we hope that everything kind of blends together, but it may have a little jump in the conversation that us getting back on topic. What about from the financial point of this whole conversation? How should we, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, like, like I said before, you know, you really have to know what your expenses are for a month, not only for, to, to run a business, but also, you know, how much you need to pay yourself. So you need to get all that information and actually get, you know, you have to have a solid number and then you have to find out what your products are going to be and how much you're going to have to sell a month to, to, to be able to that, hit yeah. those financial obligations. You have to have a business plan. Yeah, That's I was just going to just going to say that it's basically a, a business plan of what you want to hit and mm -hmm. what what you need to hit. Your overhead, your your insurance, your taxes, all that stuff has to be figured out. Yeah. And it, that stuff it can be a lot more expensive than you think it is. So, you know, you really have to research it and do your homework. Yeah, the more prepared you are going into it, the the better your life is just going to be. Um it, it definitely helps if you have an accountant to begin with. Yes. Makes your life a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, yeah. I, I would think that it, for banking, when it comes to this, the best invest invention right now is uh, QuickBooks Online because all your information of your credit cards or bank uh, usage gets automatically uploaded and your accountant is connected to your QuickBooks on digitally and they can correct and make uh, things, you know, reconcile properly and they can inform you of things that you're doing wrong. And then for tax season, there's not this shoebox of receipts that every contractor has. Mm -hmm. You actually have everything on file and you, you can actually throw away your receipts because now you have a digital copy and you don't have to worry about saving you for the possibility of an audit. 
Yeah, you just take a picture with your phone and it puts it right in there, right? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. just the transaction alone, if you're thinking of you know potential auditing, um, the transaction digital copy itself is good enough for the IRS. Yeah, and that's 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 a really good point, Freddie. You know, is the how to handle the finances. It, it's it's very important that you don't commingle your funds. What I'm talking about commingling is set up a separate business as a business, you know, register it with the, with the city or the state, however you're going to do it, but you need to get a separate bank account and mm -hmm. all the money needs to go in there and come from there. And you need to pay yourself out of that as an employee, because if you start putting everything into one big pot into your, your family, you know, bank account and your budget, it's going to be real hard to break that out later. And it can cause you a lot of, a lot of issues with your taxes. Mm -hmm. That's a big mistake. I see a lot of people make. I agree. Yep. Do we want to talk about the different types of businesses? You know, LLCs, sole proprietors, proprietors, all that stuff. I, 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 I think we can say what we I, I, I think I, that's something you need to discuss. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's state to state. It's different, and there's something you need to figure out what you're going to do with yours and. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you you can in the beginning you can kind of fly under the radar, but if you're going to get an accountant and do all that stuff from the beginning right, it's going to all be set up right, and it's it's not very expensive to get it set up and just going, and then it's just it operates at that point. So yeah, accountants it, are, are fairly inexpensive. They're not cheap, but they're not like it's not going to cost you millions of dollars to right. have an accountant do your stuff. Right. You got to obviously find a good a good accountant because some of them are terrible. Sure. You ha do you, maybe this is a little side note. Do you have any suggestions on how to find a good accountant? Um, networking. If you know people that have businesses, you know, talk to them, see if they know somebody. Um, referrals are a very good way to do it, in yeah. my opinion, anyways. Okay. I that agree. Way you, that way you're getting, you know, real information from real people, not from some guy telling you that he's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for me, to, the way I do it is, you know, I do the referrals and everything else, but I also don't want an accountant in downtown Boston to pay their rates. I want a great referral from a smaller town that mm -hmm. their rates are different because they have a lot less overhead and, you know, they're just down and dirty and gritty and they're very informative and you can almost interview them. Say, I'm considering having you as my accountant, you know, and their in your interaction with them and how you can set up your account will tell you if you can trust someone and also ask them what are your fees? How much is going to cost me when it comes mm -hmm. tax season or quarterly when we have to meet for taxes or you do my books with me to make sure I'm up to date and everything. How each interaction is going to cost is very important. I have an amazing accountant and she's extremely reasonable. Um, so I was very fortunate. But I how I lucked out was her husband was a wood turner. And mm -hmm. I was like, well, this fits perfectly if you do his taxes we're selling about the same amount of stuff and this may be a perfect fit. And now it's like 10 years later and she's still there. Yeah. And a good accountant can also walk you through all the things you need for your business. As far as, you know, what the, the minimum insurance levels, they can help you with the business licensing. They can do all that stuff. They can, they can definitely get you going in the right direction anyways. Yeah. So if you have a lot of questions about all that stuff, you know, like I said, seek a, a good accountant. Yes. The other thing is you, I would think you want to be 
financially ready as in a sense of you figure out how much everything costs or how much you need to make a month. But at the same time, you want to have maybe several months um, of value or money in the bank just in case you can't make that amount of money you need monthly that you have a cushion and one friend of mine named charles phillips uh he always said that he highly recommended six months of salary now obviously it can be very difficult to come up with six months but he said that gives you a huge confidence boost and there's significantly a lot less stress and i have to believe the man because a guy is in his 50s and he's been budgeting since you know, the seventies and he has every year that he budgeted in his outlook in his, did he hit the marks? Did he hit his goals? And he's been extremely successful. So if you have the capability of doing that, then I highly recommend yeah. it. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And just, you know, generally in life, you should always have a, a, at bare minimum three months of a, a household budget in your bank account just mm -hmm. in case something happens mm -hmm. but six months for a business is is i think a pretty good number mm -hmm. and after you get you know fairly well established too and i don't know how you guys feel about this but you know when you get to the point where you have you know employees and things like that and there's a you know the, the, the costs associated with your business start to rise you need to look into getting a, a line of credit just to make sure you can get your employees paid, vendors paid, things like that. Because there's going to be times where you have a lot of money out in the world and you're waiting on payment mm -hmm. and you're fine financially. However, you can't meet something like important like payroll. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's nice to have, you know, either A, money in the bank or B, uh, a line of credit that you can dip into to, to, to get you through those rough times. Hmm. Yeah, I... Stay out of credit. Stay out of debt as much as you possibly can. You know. That's, yes. That's, yeah, and I think that, that's the if best you're advice, but you're you're also now at the point where you and your accountant and yep. your business is running. So yeah, that's a little down the road for you. Yeah, and that but that's a, that's a very common thing too. So that's very interesting. Now, do you, uh, do you have like a line of credit or anything like that, Freddie? No, I don't have any line of credit. What I try to do is when I price everything out and plan everything accordingly for the, the weeks or months ahead, um, I always try to take half up front and not put that into my personal business account. I put that into the business saving account. And once we start working on that piece, that's when I transfer things over. So we have a continuous cash flow. Mm -hmm. And what I also do is that for me is uh, that 40% margin that I put into everything I price I use that 40% as a rainy day, you know, possibly taxes, something happens in the shop or customers taking three months to pay like MIT. And I can go ahead and take that money and give it to my subcontractor or whatever needs to happen. And then when that payment finally comes in, it gets replaced. And then usually I have money saved there, but it's, it's still there for that rainy fund or rainy day situation. Yeah. And, and I'm on a little side note of that. I am a big believer, uh, and this is just the way that I was brought up by the way my father ran his business, is you always pay everybody. Don't wait to be paid then to pay somebody else. I agree 100%. Uh, it's just 
it's I don't care who it is or what it is or or whatever. It's you just pay your your subs first. Yeah, that's that's a everybody's got a different way of looking at that. I, I as I've mentioned before, I was in the construction industry for you know thirty years, so I'm I'm real familiar with subcontractors and waiting for money. And you know how do you do that? You pay these people first before you're paid, and everybody does it differently. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. I always said, you know, hey, we need to pay our guys. We need to pay our subs and we will take care of getting money from the from the from the GC or the general contractor. Um, but- right. And, and my thinking is you hired them. The customer that you're working for didn't hire mm-hmm. them. Correct. So. But, you know, sometimes the subcontractor agreements, it's put right in there. You'll get paid when we get paid. Mm hmm. And as and if you're working as a subcontractor, we're talking before about you know uh, going into trim carpentry just to to make some ends meet. If you're doing that as a subcontractor, read the subcontractor agreement and look at that because a lot of them will say you know you get paid when we get paid, and they might be a subcontractor of a subcontractor, which makes you a subcontractor of a subcontractor of a subcontractor. <laughs> The GC is three or four steps up from you. Mm-hmm. So nobody's getting paid until the GC gets paid. And that can be months down the road sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful I, of that. Yeah. Yeah. What were you say, I was going to say, usually when I, when I do these contracts with, with general contractors and everything else, uh, I emphasize right on the bottom. It's like, I'm not considering to look at anything or pick up anything after the first initial visit until I've gotten 50% of my labor and all my materials. Because mm-hmm. if, if I go ahead and start working on it and there's a delay or the plan has changed or lately it has happened m- more frequently to my amazement that contractors have been gotten kicked off the job and now there's, mm. they're getting a new contractor and now you have to wait until the contractor who doesn't may or may not know you get on the same page and say, yeah, I'm still going to use you. Or you discuss with them saying that I've already started this project. I need to get paid if you want the doors back or, for example, and or, you know, this is who I am and this is what I do. And, you need to, you know, educate them and who you are and your capabilities and move forward, because unfortunately, a lot of these contracts isn't with the customer with their information. It's with the contractor and his information. So it's mm-hmm. something to be, you know, wording wise, you have to yeah. be very careful when it comes to that. A lot, a lot of that, and then you guys are, <clears throat> I'm sure familiar with the, the term progressive billing. You, you bill as you build. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. You'll, you know, you, you, figure out what your man hours are. And then once a month, they say, you know, you have to submit all your stuff to them and you submit, you know, your, your labor costs, your progression on the project, um, any material costs and you submit that to them and then they, they can approve it. And once they approve it, then they'll, they'll pay you at the end of the month, but you're always like a month behind on stuff like that. Yeah. It, 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 can get it depends on who you're working with. Yeah. yeah. It depends on who you're working with. It's like Freddie said, where he's working with MIT, they take several months. Whereas I, I mean, it's stated on my bill payment due upon delivery. And it's usually 
within 10 days I get that, right? It's like if it comes, and this is just me with the small people and things that I'm dealing with, it, it all depends. I don't deal a lot with large corporations or everything. They always take longer. Schools, I've dealt with them. They take longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but majority of it, it, it says payment due upon delivery. Yeah. After I've also received a, a deposit and everything, but come two weeks, I'm probably going to contact you some way, somehow. Right. In a very nice way. Sure. And I've had people say, Oh, I didn't see the email, which they could have been lying or anything, but mm-hmm. who knows? So, yeah. And, and I, I'm it, sorry to get us off topic there. Most of my experience right. is in the, the, the commercial building uh, mm-hmm. space. So, you know, we're talking, you know, several million dollar projects and they're really big and, yeah, uh, I I think that it's just a growing pain yeah. that you'll mm-hmm. you'll learn one of those things. Yeah, but yeah, making sure you get paid is uh, is an important part of owning a business. I would say. Well, all right. It, it, let's say I I think we should back that up and say as far as contracts go, I think you should always have a contract. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be super simple along the line saying I will be doing this for you for set amount right, and as time went on i i then developed more literature in there saying at what point you're getting paid how much you have to put down and it's just more wording and that was added along or the fine print if you want to say uh as i grew i mean it, it starts out simple and you'll you'll grow with all that yeah. part and it's important that you know when you the 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 agreement is simple especially if you're going like i said from a hobbyist to a to a business, you know, where you're, you're doing something simple for somebody, you're making, you know, a bookcase, mm-hmm. and you just put in there, you know, that the payment is due upon delivery, and you tell the make sure you inform the customer of that. Don't just have them sign it and not tell them that, you know, they're expected to pay you mm-hmm. when you deliver it. Yeah, and yeah, don't be, yeah. don't ever ever be afraid to ask for your money. You did a job. It's just like going to a store. You know, you walk in, you get a product off the shelf, you go to the cashier, they want your money before you leave the store. It's mm-hmm. just, you have to have that same mentality. Hey, I've delivered it. You're good with it. Thank you so much. I, I'd appreciate your referrals. And, you know, the balance you owe is X amount. How do you want to take care of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the way to do it. Did we, did we discuss everything else on the list? I think so. Okay. I don't think we got into a lot of specifics. We gave a good 3000 foot view of the thing, but still, I mean, you could spend days talking about this stuff. Yeah. And I don't think we need to get that granular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think we can, we can move into the tool of the week. So last time you guys made me wait last, so I'm perfectly fine. <laughs> you know what? Freddie, you can okay. go first. So, uh, <laughs> this week, there's been an addiction to Makita tools, and uh, I just decided to upgrade into a little bit more of a higher quality tool. And Instagram is great because you get to see a lot of these guys like Toolholic and and Tool by Design or Tool Crib, and you know, go over these new models that come out, or they visit these uh, locations where the manufacturers are producing, and they get to test these tools out. And then they have videos, and they compare all of them, right hand, left hand, you know, going 
going through the whole process and the advantages and how they compare. So lately, Makita's on top, uh, and I'm falling in love with their their whole line and their whole concept and the quality. But in Japan, they even have more specialized and even more amazing features. And at one time, it was really hard to get all this stuff here in the States, but now because eBay and people here um, have pushed Japan to be like, hey, can you please sell us some? Uh, dealers are now going online and saying, first, you know, for sale, ship from Japan. So I recently purchased a Makita, and the model number is a TD171DZB. And it's one of those impact drivers that you can change all the different speeds. You can change it for wood, and you can change it for metal. And it's slow uh, feed until it engages. It has great LED features. It's very well balanced, yada, yada, yada. So that's kind of been one of my main addictions this week. And I bought a uh, – go ahead. What was what was the retail on that, if you don't mind me asking? Without the battery, it was $209 with shipping from Japan. Okay. So I thought that was pretty reasonable because of all the features, even though I don't know how to read yeah, Japanese. I've, I've got a, I've got, I've got an impact driver <laughs> that I, I rarely use because I don't do a lot of cabinetry work, mm. and it's just, it's just on. There's no adjustment to it. There's nothing, and I, I really don't like to use it unless, like I said, I'm driving screws and plywood or something like that. Well, that's that, that's what's great about yeah. this particular model and the ones that are coming out, especially the compact versions that. Uh, Makita's offering. They also have the blow motor, which has extra torque and the the decimal of noise that it's making. It's significantly reduced. It's like is it brushless? It is brushless as well. Yes. I I, I had heard from somebody that the brushless tools were louder. Is that or am I am I, am I mistaken in that? I'm I'm sorry to say that you're 100 percent mistaken. <laughs> you know i'll admit when i'm i just heard that once i had a yeah. friend that bought um some dewalt brushless stuff and he said it was really loud i'm like really that's the first time I no actually that. i have uh the worm drive mm-hmm. skill saw and that is pretty quiet yeah, it's amazing because i have the exact same little saw in it's not a worm drive but it's a mm-hmm. regular circle saw, makita and that one isn't brushless that is a little noisier you know, and the weight also is, it's a huge improvement, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're very, they're very comfortable. I have that. I had the, probably the model before that one. Um, and then the last thing that, is, that I've been, been really big on is the, the Martinez hammer. Martinez tools hammer from California. It's a, I bought the one that has a titanium handle, the, uh, it's only 12 mm-hmm. ounces, and that thing, it feels like it's it's a 19 ounce because of the impact that it has because all the weight it's on the head, and there's no vibration. It's extremely well balanced. Like, I now pick up the hammer for almost anything I need to do for a little Brad to framing hammer. It's, like, an amazing tool, and I highly recommend it. Mm, nice. It sounds like... Uh... Nothing against it, but it sounds like Instagram sales is working on you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is pretty amazing. They're pushing. It is. But yeah, you, you're getting to see a lot of stuff firsthand use, which is a big help. So I agree. Yeah, and a lot of those guys are a lot of those guys are contractors too. So they're actually using yeah, it. Yeah, they're the field. they're beating the hell out of it. So mm-hmm. yeah, you get a real good idea what's going on. So what 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 uh, tool have you been digging lately? Uh 
lathe. I've been using my lathe for this chair, and I, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I again, I've said this before. I'm not a big, big turner or anything, but it, it is satisfying when you get to use a skew chisel and it works well. <laughs> so, uh, just yeah, just enjoying it. Something different. The results are fairly quick from it. You get something, but I'm not very good or detailed at it. But getting better and just enjoying it. So yeah. That's one of those tools that take a lot of practice. Yeah. So, what about you, guy? So, um, I, a tool that I use a lot is just this little tiny bronze Lee Nielsen block plane. I think Freddie, you said it's a, a one hundred two. Yes, it's a one hundred two. Is that the number? It's a low angle. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a low angle block plane. It's really small. You use it one handed, and it's just so darn handy i use it to flush stuff up just to make a little adjustment to something here or there and it's you know it's just it's just a wonderful tool it's it's fairly inexpensive it's a it's it's very well made and it's you know it's probably that the the most used plane i have in my shop thanks just because i can do so much with it really quickly i, I wouldn't you know like surface a board with it but um I said, just to touch up joinery, get a little bit of a better fit here or there. It's just, it's a tremendous tool. Do you guys have one of those? I do. I Okay. You know what I'm talking about. I have a old, basically, I think it's stamp steel uh, Stanley version. Found it at a flea market for a couple of bucks, which I don't use it much just because I had the, the Lee Nielsen low angle. But it is handy little plane when I do use it. Yeah. Someday. Someday. But, all right. Uh, is there any makers or anybody you guys want to talk about, cover? Hmm. Uh, I, you know, I, already, I think we already mentioned him. His name is uh, Carpentry by Mar, M-A-R, on Instagram. The man is unbelievable. And his techniques and his approach is flawless, like – scary flawless flawless and i highly recommend them for inspiration but also to say that carpenters are not just rough guys like this guy is top notch i'll have to check it out take a look at that yeah um there's a there's a lot of people i follow on instagram and there's one one gentleman he's actually one of our patrons his name is michael hill uh, is that right He's MH Woodworker on Instagram. I think it's Michael Hill. Mm -hmm. Michael Hill or Michael Hall. The guy is tremendous. He does top-notch work. You know, he's a hobbyist, um, but just does tremendous work. Uh, he does a lot of good videos on his Instagram. Um, does a lot of pattern stuff on the router table. He does a lot of green and green stuff, Nakashima stuff. And I said, very, very talented guy. And I, I really recommend taking a look. It's a MH Woodworker on Instagram. Oh, yeah, I have seen that. He is really good. Yep. Yeah, he's awesome. Just tremendous nice. work. Good. Uh, I'm going to go to Instagram as well and recommend Steve the Woodturner. Um, he, he does a lot of videos uh, that I don't know what it is. It's the perspective that he shoots from or whatever. But you can get a really good idea how he's handling the tool and what he's doing with it, and it's 
it's just pretty neat to see somebody's professional turner do it and just do stuff repetitively and how fast they can actually do it. But yeah, I started following him recently. Yeah, it, I really enjoy following his his videos, his stuff. Nice. All right. What do you say we finally try to wrap this one up after several attempts? Right. <laughs> We're sorry this is late. Uh, our lives got in the way, I guess. Yeah. Technical difficulties, yeah. Oh. man. Yeah. Wow. Our, our recording program did an update that doesn't seem like it's liking us that much. But Or you can just, bl- you can just blame everything on me. <laughs> I'm, I'm, used to, I'm used to being blamed for we'll, everything. I've been married for a long time. We'll blame time. it on your cat. <laughs> well, that makes it easy then doesn't it <laughs> all right guy where can you be found uh easiest place to find me is guyswoodshop.com there's links to all my social media there and also i have things to sell if you want to buy some stuff from me what are you selling uh mainly i have boxes on there i sell a ton of boxes i make a ton of boxes Good. i sell a ton of boxes so awesome um freddie how about you where can you be found oh everything can be found on the website which is period crafts with an s and men with an e so period craftsman there you find the instagram and you know the podcast and anything else you may be interested in you you can email me at jdfinewoodworking at gmail.com or you can find me on instagram uh justin underscore de palma and you can reach all of us at our website, which is theatgpodcast.com, or you can send us an email at theatgpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, finally, let's get on to the next show. Yes, sir. All right. All right. See you guys later. Have a good week. You too. Thank you. always mess this up. <laughs>